Welcome to the Rooted Legacy Podcast. At Laurel Branch Church of God, we are devoted to developing an environment of engagement with Yahweh and hosting His presence attentively. Our hope is to help others become rooted in beloved identity and further the kingdom of God on this earth. From Pastor Seth Klein and the congregation at Laurel Branch Church of God, we hope this message brightens your day and changes your life. We pray that God blesses you and all that you do. Thanks for listening. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we'll get some people in there to pray for us, won't we? <laughs> but anyway, yeah, like I never typically preach a seasonal or a, or a holiday message, but uh, so I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to preach something that the Lord gave me back in November. Uh, so if you have your Bible, let's, first, let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. It's uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse, verse 9. Probably one of the, one of the, I won't say the, now don't, don't, don't hear me say that. I, one of the most popular scriptures in the Bible, especially in, uh, in Pentecostal circles, charismatic circles. We love, we love to use this scripture. Um. Uh, we love to quote it. We love to, to, to preach it. But we love, we love just a few aspects of it, but we don't really listen to the, to the verse in its entirety. And I'm going to try to show, show something to us this morning that there's so much more to the verse than just, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the, the highlights and the emphases that we put on it. So if you have your Bibles and you turn to first chapter 2, verse 9, it reads like this. But you, are not like, but you are not like that. You are a chosen people. You are a kingdom of priests, God's holy nation, His very own possession. This is so you can show others the goodness of God for he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, say out of darkness. Okay, into his marvelous light. Say that with me. Uh, the King James reads, but ye are a chosen generation. This is the one we're probably more familiar with. Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that we should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Now, Many seem to amplify and expound upon a portion of this particular scripture. Chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a peculiar people. But overlook the pinnacle of what is being expressed. Hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For that is the appropriate, that, that is appropriate. That is, what, that is the reason and why it is appropriate that we praise him. Because he called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Now, most of us get so caught up in, you know, the, the, the holiness and the royalness and the, uh, the, the chosenness of it and the peculiarness of it that we don't put any emphasis or even realize that there's something at the end of that scripture that says, this is why we praise him because he called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, darkness was a situation where there was a plague and the plague was the absence of no light and therefore it had to 
indicate that there was an absence of Jesus' presence, okay? Uh, we, we know that absence or darkness is the absence of light. Light expels darkness regardless of, of the situation, okay? You introduce light to a situation, darkness has got to flee. It, it is expelled. And so there was, there was a time, and I, we're going to prove it here, there was a time that we probably lived a life where we were in the absence of Jesus. We lived in darkness, and there was a moment when he called us out of that darkness into his marvelous light. Now, we always emphasize darkness is just darkness, but light is his and it's marvelous. And, and, and so for, for that reason, then we can celebrate the four, the holiness, the, gener- the uh, chosen, the royal, the holy, and the peculiar people. We can celebrate that. But if we don't have, if we're not conscious and cognizant to the fact that he called us out of darkness and placed us in marvelous light, then we truly can't appropriately celebrate the other four things. Chosen, holy, uh, peculiar, and uh, Royal, we can't we can't celebrate those things, and it's it's very indicative that if we're living in darkness, and listen now, I, everybody thinks that every, and I say something, I'm condemning people. I'm not condemning people to hell, but if we're living in darkness, it's it's indicative to two things: either we're not in the presence of Jesus, or we're completely unaware of the presence of Jesus. If I'm living in darkness, it's it's. It's indicative of two things. Either I'm not in the presence of Jesus or totally unaware of the presence of Jesus. And, and I mean, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a mind over matter thing, really, I think, because sometimes we get so focused on things that don't matter. Right? I mean, we get so focused on uh, anything under the sun, anything on the television, anything on your Facebook feed. Listen, <coughs> I'll just be the first to tell you that half of the people on your news feed put no stock in them. Because half of what they say isn't true, even when they talk about themselves. When I mean, I mean, I, I'm just going to say this once again. Once again, because I say it all the time. <laughs> Facebook has made people narcissistic whether they are aware of it or even believe it or not. Because you put, you, put, you put your best picture on there that makes you look the thinnest or the buffest, whichever one you're trying to do. Uh, we use filters to, to hide the blemishes on our face. And we tell the stories that are the funniest or uh, give us the most attention. So everything that we do on social media is intended to make us look better than what we really look. So, I mean, half of what's on, I mean, you, you get the drift that I'm trying to say here, right? We are aware of that, so don't let it bother you so much. I mean, even, I mean, even people that, that claim they're doing this for the Lord aren't necessarily doing it for the Lord. Well, how can you prove it? Because if you complain about doing good works because of the lack of recognition you get, then it's quite possible you're not doing it for the glory of God anyway. Don't, don't, don't do something and then say, but for God be the glory and then complain about it when you don't get the glory. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I mean, all you got to do is just read between the lines, so to speak, and you'll see people's real, their real heart and their real intent. Well, if, 
oh, I gave out, we gave out 30, 30 uh, boxes of food today and nobody thanked me or there was no pictures of me on the Facebook or this, that, and the other. Well, let's, listen, man, you, you got to understand that you're doing it to bring God glory. And God sees it. And God is glorified in your good works. It doesn't matter if the news station has set up to do an article on you. It doesn't matter if somebody shared your story on Facebook because he knows. And we have to come to a place in our life that if he knows, then it's good enough. Nothing else matters. So, you know, things in this world are mind over matter. We, we, we're mindful, too mindful of things that just don't matter. And we're, we're not mindful of the one thing that does matter. And the one thing that does matter is Him, His marvelous life. Literally, you've got to understand the, the bottom portion of this scripture, the last portion of this scripture is you, you were in the absence of Jesus and all of a sudden He extended the invitation for you to come into His presence. Okay? It was His presence being present with you that actually had the consequence that made you chosen, royal, holy, and peculiar. There's too many people that are trying to be chosen, royal, holy, and peculiar without the presence of Jesus in their life. Oh, you can be peculiar. You've seen peculiar all around. I mean, we could go up the road and we could see very peculiar, can't we? We could go down the road and we'll find somebody who believes they're chosen. I'm, I'm not sure on this. I'm, I'm about 85% sure that it was Shambach that said some got up and, <coughs> excuse me, uh, said some were chosen and sent. Others just got up and went, right? So there's some that are chosen and sent and then others just got up and went because they believed that they were chosen. They, they wasn't chosen because they chose not to follow Jesus or, or to pursue the presence of Jesus. I believe, I, I, I believe there's people in the ministry that get upset and jealous of the presence of Jesus because His presence is praised and His presence is acknowledged and theirs isn't. Right? I don't need people in the gas station that I visit to know that I'm holy and I'm chosen. I'm peculiar. Huh? I don't need them uh, to, to know that I'm royal. I'm, a royal I'm, I'm part of the royal priesthood. I don't need them to know that. So I don't, I don't dress any different or, I mean, I don't act any different. I shouldn't act any different. If you have to act different when you're in front of people than you do when you're not in front of people or alone, then you're not really, you're not really sold out to Jesus. I, I don't know of any other way to say it. If you have to change your personality and change the way that you uh, present yourself because you're afraid people may be looking or if you act different outside of church that you do inside of church then there's something completely wrong you're not really you're not you're not the four things that I just talked about you're not chosen you're not holy you're not royal you're not peculiar because you quite possibly haven't answered the call out of darkness into marvelous light why because when you're in marvelous light you can't hide it no matter how hard you try but when you're in darkness you can change you can you you can pretend to be something that you're not when people are looking. You can, you can change and you can have different personalities from one place to another or Saturday night to Sunday morning. You can have a different personality. So don't be a hypocrite or a fraud. 
No, well, yeah, I mean, in, yeah, in simple terms, don't be a hypocrite or a fraud. And I'm telling you, some of the most fraudulent activity that I've ever seen has been behind a pulpit and in the church on Sunday mornings. Amen? That's why I said, I don't know why we're all so mad about wearing masks. We wear masks to church every Sunday. Right? I, we should be more offended at the mask that we've been called out on rather than the mask we've been called to wear. Because most of the time, you know, I mean, hypocrisy. I mean, you know, what is hypocrisy? I'll tell you the simplest hypocrisy. Probably should. (laughs) One of the greatest hypocrisies in the church is, uh, well, I mean, Jesus talked about it, the the beam and the the splinter. We we will look at somebody else's sin. And I believe a couple of weeks ago, I kind of gave it a different variation. We will religiously condemn somebody who, 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 who's, Condemn someone else's darkness. But actually what we're doing when we condemn their darkness, we're comparing and contrasting their, their darkness to our darkness because if their darkness is a few shades darker than mine, then I'm better off than they are and gives me the right <coughs> to condemn them for being a little bit darker than myself. That's the biggest, huh? What is it? Oh, don't worry, man. I do it all the time. No, right. I mean, and darkness is darkness. Yeah, right. I mean, you know, I, I'm sure that there's a moment in the night when the darkness is more dark, but you know, we still know that there's a time of darkness from this time to that time, and I mean. M- Darkness is darkness and sin is sin. We can't really compare and contrast our sin with somebody else's. Now, I understand that we have to, we have to draw a thin line here, I guess, and, and be careful not to cross over tiptoe back and forth. But we are still called to... We are still called to convince people into a life of righteousness and holiness. But, again... We have to be calling them into a pursuit that we ourselves are in. Uh, let, let me say this about, about righteousness and holiness. Don't understand that righteousness and holiness is a pursuit. Okay? You, you're, tr- you're chasing, you're pursuing more righteousness and more holiness in and of the fact that you're chasing and pursuing the presence of Jesus more in your life, okay? And that then begins to, uh, begins to transfer in your own, your own being, and you begin to take on those attributes of Jesus, which is righteousness and holiness and grace and mercy and love and, and, and kindness and compassion. And so, but, but again, you can tell people about those things if you're chasing after those things but what we do in the church is we want to stand in our spot and get comfortable and point at everybody else's sin and point then point at jesus's righteousness and say and, and you know and then give them the big comparing and contrasting of their sin and his righteousness but yet we're stuck in between so what's more hypocritical I mean, if I'm chasing after Jesus and telling you, come on, let's find him together. Let's chase him together. That's different. But I can't point down at you with your sin and then direct you to his righteousness because I've got to be, I'm supposed to be leading by example. 
I can't, I can't fix myself or, or fix myself in my spot on this earth and get comfortable in a little bit of holiness and a whole lot of sin and think that I'm better off than anybody else and gives me a right to point down at people who sin a little more than me and, and direct them to a little bit more holiness or a whole lot more holiness than myself in Jesus. I mean, people think that they have arrived just because... Whatever. Most time in the Pentecostal church they speak in tongues and think they're right. And they're holier than anybody else because they speak in tongues more. Well, Paul said, I speak in tongues more than y'all. But guess what? I would rather you speak, you know, five, five words in your own language and edify the church than to speak 10,000 words in a heavenly language. So, I mean, what, 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 are we, what are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be leading people not pointing people to Jesus and that's a big difference that what we do in the church today a lot of people can they can stand with with their hand out and the finger pointing and say that's where you need to be why ain't you there they always got an excuse as to why they're not there right so we it really we're supposed to be leading people to Jesus and what does that mean look Okay, why do you think we're a chosen generation? Why do you think we're a royal priesthood? Why do you think we're a holy nation? Why do you think we're a peculiar people? Okay, these are secondary consequences of the next line in this scripture. First of all, we should show forth the praises of him who did what? Who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Those are secondary consequences of him calling me out of darkness into marvelous light. Do you know why we praise him and why we are chosen, why we're, why we're holy, why we're royal, and why we're peculiar? Because he's put those attributes of leadership on you so that you can lead others into the same marvelous light that sets you free from the constraints of darkness. But you go to churches around the country and they will put more restraints of darkness on you on every Sunday service because they're preaching about how bad the world is. They're preaching about how demonic it is. They're preaching about what pandemonium that we're dealing with out there. They want to preach against the government. They want to preach against their, uh, the, the, the political party that isn't their preference or their choice. They want to preach about... Um, I don't know, whatever it is they can preach about, but they're not preaching anything about Jesus who is the light of the world. You understand what I'm saying? We, we put so much of everything else in our sermons. You know why? Listen, do you really want to know what's happened to why the world is not being delivered from, 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 from the strongholds that, it, that it, is, it is being plagued with? Because the church has invited those same strongholds into the doors. Opening the doors right up to the same strongholds that has captivated and, and has, has bound the church for so many years. Because they open them up. That's what we preach about. We're bringing that stuff that is happening in the world and putting them on the podiums and pulpits and preaching them from the microphones to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of millions of people. Hmm? Is it any wonder why they say, be careful little ears what you hear? Be careful little eyes what you see? Should we, should, should we be reporting rather than preaching? Because a lot of times we're reporting only what we've seen on the news on Sunday morning. But we're supposed to be preaching the good news and the good news has a name. His name is Jesus 
And Jesus came to set the world free from the bondages of sin. But we want to emphasize sin even on the pulpits and behind the podiums in the, in, in, and preach sin, sin, sin. Listen, I'm telling you right now, there is a place to acknowledge sin. But there should never be a place to acknowledge sin and make sin precedence over the one that came to deliver us from those sins. Jesus has got to be put back in the sermon. He's got to be put back in our study. He's got to be put back in our prayers. He's got to be put back in our churches until we see Jesus put back into the center of the heart of the believer. We will never see Jesus present within the church. And we will always see our world plagued by darkness rather than His marvelous light. Listen, I've said this for the entire span of 2020. I can sit down with the majority of preachers within a 500-mile radius from here, and, and, and the first thing they would tell me is how bad the world is and how dark it is and how demented it is and how desperate we are and how uh, desolate the world is and how depravity has covered the face of the world. And, 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 and then... Well, brother, I'm telling you right now, I'm just waiting for Jesus to come back because I'm telling you right now, I'm ready. You know what? There's a lot of times when I'm ready, but my family isn't. And guess what I do? I pitch in. I put shoes on my little boys or I put a jacket on my little boys or I start, I start going into the bedrooms and saying, hurry up, hurry up, all but short of getting a cattle prod out and starting to, to, to shock them with it, you know, because sometimes you just have to use, use a little bit of force, right? Y'all taking me too serious this morning. I don't use a cattle prod. I don't have a cattle prod. I did use a uh, stun gun on myself one time, but that's as far as it went. Uh, but anyway, the message in the video said, if I'm crazy enough to shock and stun myself, then I'm crazy enough to stun you. There may be some truth to that. But, <laughs> but I help. I pitch in. I go back and I start making sure that my entire family is ready to go. But that's not what we've done in the church. We've got ourselves ready to go and then we just sat back with our feet up waiting for Jesus to come rapture us on up out of here. We, and we really... We've gotten to the place to where we just don't care about our neighbor. But doesn't Jesus tell us to love our neighbor? Yes. And he tells us to love others as ourselves. Yes. So if I love myself enough to get myself ready for the rapture, then why am, I not, why am I not getting my neighbors and other people ready for the rapture? Well, brother, it's hard. I guarantee you it's hard. I know it's hard. I'm going to tell you I know it's hard because somebody got you ready. Somebody thought enough to get you ready. Did you, well, brother, I made up my own mind. Yeah, but something had to convince you. Something had to convict you. Something had to, had to bring you into that knowledge of Jesus. I won't, I won't steal your thunder. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. But I don't even know what it is. Well, the Holy Spirit. Yeah. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads us or con compels us. <clears throat> But we've got, to be, we've got to be active in, in this thing. I mean, do you want to see people? I know this is a rhetorical question, but, I mean, but we kind of have to ask ourselves this question. Do I really want to see my neighbor go to hell? Do I really want to see my neighbor left behind? Not really. We shouldn't. 
We shouldn't. And I, I understand how discouraging it can get. I know how discouraging. But I'm going to tell you something. The, one, of the greatest, one of the greatest hindrances to the church's prayers is discouragement. Why do you think the enemy wants to discourage you so much? Well, brother, I don't know. I prayed and 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 nothing ever happened. And I just got discouraged. No, you were praying through discouragement. You, and discouragement will sometimes cause you to pray out of, uh, uh, not uh, what's the word I'm here looking for? Prerogative or obligation. I think obligation was the word I'm looking for. I, I think if I pray enough and I pray enough and I pray enough, then God will answer it, nowhere does it say, uh, listen, nowhere does it say if you pray enough, okay? The Bible does teach us to be persistent with the woman who went to the judge for bread. Persistence, all right? But, but, but you got to understand that, that it never said that if you pray a hundred times in a day, I'll answer them. Or if you pray a thousand times in a week, I'll answer them. No, prayer was always emphasized on faith, so if you're praying through discouragement, you're trying to pray enough, right? And sometimes it just isn't enough. But if you're praying in faith, and let me help you out here a little bit. I've had people uh, say, well, you know what? I done gave it to Jesus and I'm not praying for it again. What? What? <laughs> You're not praying for it again. I'm going, to, I'm going to try to help some of y'all this morning, maybe. Hey, you know, I done prayed for it one time, and I'm not going to pray for it again. I've heard this. <clears throat> I'm not making this up. I don't make anything up. I mean, a whole lot. I am a preacher, so forgive me. <laughs> but I done prayed for it one time. I ain't going to pray for it again. I, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I'm not, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to give it to Jesus and then take it back and then try to give it back to Jesus. I done prayed for it one time. Okay. Uh, you done prayed for it one time, but he also told Elijah to go up and pray for rain. How many times did Elijah go pray for rain? A lot. A lot. I mean, so I've I heard it for years and years and years be taught that Elijah prayed seven times, but <clears throat> once I read the Bible, I said, well, I think Elijah read, uh, prayed eight times. Because it says... Elijah prayed, sent his servant up to the mountain to go look, and then the servant came back and reported that there was no rain, and he says that he prayed in seven more times and sent the servant seven more times. So seven plus one's got to be eight. Now, it's real regardless of whether it was eight or seven, but what I'm trying to make you understand was that there was a deposit of faith that had to be transferred, okay? I don't believe that Elijah prayed the second time through frustration, I don't think that he prayed the third time through discouragement. I don't think he prayed the fourth time in the hope that if this was the last time and this was enough. I think he continued to pray in faith. And there was a, there was a cumulative amount and deposits of faith that was being invested into heaven, so to speak. And when, when the right amount of faith that was needed... The servant come back and says, you know what I seen out there over top of the sea? He said, what did you see? He said, I saw a cloud the size of a man's hand. And he says, go tell Ahab to prepare for rain. What if, what if Elijah would have stopped one time? What if he would have prayed and said, shucks. 
What if he would have prayed two or three times and said, darn it. I'm just not praying hard enough. I'm just not right with the Lord good enough. I forgot to pay my tithes Sunday and that's why the Lord ain't answering my prayers. I forgot to read my Bible today and God just, he's mad at me and he's turned away from me and he's not hearing my prayers. No, that's not it. What, what if you got to number seven and all it needed was number eight? Now, now well, that's, that's, that's when you're praying enough. And I, I'm not saying anything about the number of prayers. I'm talking about the amount of faith that is being deposited through those prayers. So I'm telling you right now, it is, it, it, it is, it, it is absolutely false to think that you can only pray for something one time and then set back and not pray for it again. And that's faith. You've got to understand that it may take persistence and it may take consistency in those prayers. And we got to stop praying, praying for things out of obligation. And we've got to stop praying for things out of discouragement. And we've got to stop praying for things out of frustration. And we've got to start depositing faith in our prayers so that we can see mountains be moved, right? And maybe faith will eventually overwhelm doubt because we got to read the scripture when he says, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, with no doubt. One thing that struck me when I started studying that scripture is faith has a measure, but doubt doesn't. Faith has a measure, but doubt, doubt doesn't. So, so obviously there's, there's, there's a measure of faith that can move a mountain, Right? So we've got to understand that if we don't quite add up to the measure, we've got to keep praying to add up to the measure of faith that, that, that will then move that mountain. But we've got to understand that doubt has no measure, so there is no measure of doubt. No measure of doubt. But every ounce of doubt has a detrimental consequence on our faith. Discouragement and frustration is literally the epitome of praying through doubt. And those will not move mountains. Right? So we've got to understand that in this world, we've got to start coming back to faith. We've got to start coming back to, to prayers of faith. And I don't even know how I got on prayers out of out of. First Peter chapter two verse nine, but I've been I've been doing a pretty good job, I believe. Prayers, okay, I know where I was going. You you prayed one time for your neighbor and they didn't they didn't go to Jesus. Pray again. Pray again. Persistence. Consistency. What about accuracy? Listen, let me just use some analogies with bow hunting, okay? Persistence and consistency will equal accuracy. How do, you, how do you get that? Because if you're persistent in practice and you're consistent in form, it will equate to accuracy. The, the more persistent you are, the more consistent you are, the more accurate you'll be, okay? You're trying to hit the mark with your prayers, Right? So persistence and consistency. Prayers that are full of faith. Prayers that are, are deliberate and intentional. Prayers that are confident. John said that we're confident that he hears us. 
And because we're confident that he hears us, we're also confident that he will do what it is we ask. So when they, when they use the term, oh, he's praying and miss. You ever seen anybody, and I, I used to shoot a lot of bow, and that's the only reason I'm, or, 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 or you ever seen somebody shoot basketball? And their shot is never the same. They'll come from here and around, and they'll come over here and around, and they'll try to do a sky hook. <coughs> they might make one out of 20. Then all of a sudden, you see the guy that practices day in and day out, and he's persistent, and he's consistent, and he's knocking them down behind a three-point line, 10 for 10. Hmm? That's the way we are with our prayers because we're trying to hit the mark. There is a goal in which we're trying to achieve. But some of us just give up way too early. You know, I'm not good enough. I'm not as good as that guy. Well, I don't see my prayers being answered like hers. It's because she spends a lot more time praying. She spends a lot more time praying and she's confident in her prayers. I can, I can assure you that, that, a, that a person that is confident in their prayers will not hesitate to pray. And, and a person that is confident in their prayers will not drag out a prayer. They'll not pray for 15 minutes. Because a lot of times you just got to say what you mean and mean what you say. And that's how prayer works. Amen? Amen. So what, how, do we, how do we become so persistent that we become successful <coughs> in drawing people out of darkness into His marvelous light? First of all, we can't give up. And you want me to tell you why the church has got such a spirit, uh, a, a spirit uh, that gives up or why we have such a, a, why we're so easy in giving up? I can tell you right now and that most of you, most of you may not agree with me at first, but I'm going to prove. When we started preaching the rapture over Jesus, it's when we started saying, all we got to do is hold on, church, and tomorrow we might get called on up out of here, and we ain't going to have to worry about the world no more, which really meant we're not going to have to worry about our neighbors, and we're not going to have to worry about our friends that aren't saved, and we're not going to have to worry about our communities. We're not, just going, we're not going to have to worry about anybody anymore. Leonard Ravenhill, and I've said this over and over and over and over again, in the late 80s, early 90s, Leonard Ravenhill said the church only wants to be raptured out of the responsibility. It had nothing to do with going to see Jesus. They just didn't want to do anything anymore. They didn't want to pray. They didn't, they, they, they didn't want to spend time in prayer. Well, thank God that there was 120 in an upper room that decided that prayer was the one thing that they needed to do to bring the presence and the Holy Spirit of Jesus into this world. And they prayed for 10 straight days. Add that up. And 12, 24 hours a day for 10 days is 240 hours. Right? Ten minutes is a stretch for us. And then we wonder why the Spirit doesn't move. Well, ten minutes compared to ten days, is it's a stretch, man. That's, there's no comparison there. When we begin to get to the place to where we can pray for an hour straight. Now, I'm not talking about, what do you say in your prayers for an hour straight? I don't know. Do you have to literally say anything? 
Can you just get in a little? Listen, I have, I have believed that silence was the language of the Spirit just as much as tongues is for the last four or five years. There's a greater emphasis on tongues, no emphasis on silence. Can you get into a prayer closet and begin to think? Mm. Well, you know, if you talk to some, they'll say, Brother, you got you to gotta speak it and you got to let it come out and you got to pray loud. Well, let's go back to Ephesians 3 and 20. Now unto him that is able to do abund- uh, exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask. And what's that last word? What's the next word? What? Think, okay, think according to the power that is in us. So you mean to tell me that I, I can ask and I can think and the power in me will, will achieve it? Yes, I believe so. I, I believe that you can begin to reflect and meditate on issues and God will hear those prayers even though they seemingly, they seemingly appear silent. But, 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 but what was the last statement of that scripture? Ask and think according to the power that is in us. It's in me, okay? So I've got, I've got to understand that there is, there is literally a power that resides within me that gives me the ability. There is literally a power that resides within me that gives me the ability, by way of permission, of course, to begin to declare things. Hmm? To make decrees, to make proclamations, to, to, to make prophecies, so to speak. Do you know what a prophecy is? I mean, listen, I, I believe that it, the prophecy comes from a man who, calls the, who is called a prophet, right? But I believe the prophet begins to listen to the whisper of God and then begins to translate and relay the, 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 what thus saith the Lord to the people that it was intended to, okay? It's someone in tune with the spirit and the whisper of God. But in layman's terms, I guess we could say a prophet is the one who speaks those things that aren't as though they are. And God has given you the prophetic ability to look at someone's sickness and declare it as ain't. Because if you can declare those things that ain't as though they are, then you can declare those things that are as though they ain't. Well, brother, I'm dealing with cancer. Not anymore, you're not. Huh? Because these are mountains and obstacles. And guess, do you know what mountains do? Now, I love the mountains, don't get me wrong. But uh, kind of a, a, theoretically I'm speaking, that when the sun goes down over the mountain, that mountain then begins to uh, obscure the sun. And then everything on this side of that mountain is beginning to live in a shadow when shadow was darkness. So I can, through faith, begin to remove the mountains that, that obscure the sun and block the rays and its radiance from coming into my, 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 my moment and in my place and around me and becoming a, a, a proximity or me coming into the proximity of the radiance of that sun. There's things that will rise up in my way that will deflect the glories of God from shining in my life. And I got to know when and I got to know how. And it's by faith that I look at those things and say, be thou removed and cast into the sea. And the Lord will honor my prayers. 
Because there's a measure of faith that is needed. Do you, and, and do you understand if there's a measure of faith, then there's also, also a collection of faith that will equate to that measure of faith, right? So if, I, if, I'm, not, if I'm not dealing with enough measure of faith, then I've got to understand that I, by getting it, I will have enough. Now let me ask you this. So there's, there's, in order for you to have a measure, there has to be uh, a, an accumulative gathering or so, uh, so to speak. So where does faith come from? Or Faith comes by hearing. hearing. So how do I begin to strengthen my faith or accumulate more faith to build up a wealth of faith that will give me uh, the currency, if you will, in the place of prayer to achieve the things that I desire, as in moving mountains? Okay, faith is currency when it comes to exchanging the heavenlies from the worldlies and the worldlies from the heavenlies. It's currency when it comes to, I have given you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose in earth will be loosed in heaven. So it's currency. So how do I, how do I accumulate the currency that is faith? By hearing. By hearing what? The word of God. And there's, there's a myriad of ways you can listen to your preacher when he preaches, if he's preaching anything. Hmm? You can listen to the whispers of the Holy Spirit when he's speaking to you. You can delve into or dive in. I think delve, I don't know, I'm going to say dive. You can dive into the scriptures and begin to open up your heart to listen to what thus saith the Lord and the Spirit by way of the scriptures. And these things will begin to give you an accumulation of the currency that is needed for you to begin to declare those things that aren't as though they are or those things that aren't as though they ain't. Listen, we're, we're, rope, we're walking around with a bunch of broke Christians that ain't got a, a, a pot to pee in, so to speak, when it comes to faith. Because they're not doing anything to accumulate a greater measure of faith. Well, brother, you, listen. Listening to the Word. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And how shall they hear except there be a preacher? Hmm? Right. I, I've had people tell me, listen, and I will be the first to tell you. If you're attending a church where you feel as though you're not being fed, your fault. You have to do one of two things. Either find a church or pray for your preacher. And don't stop praying for him. If you're not going to leave that church and you're going to sit there and starve to death, then you better start praying some prayers that God will begin to send bread. Amen? Amen. If, he, if you're not going to pray for God to send bread, then you better pray for God to send you elsewhere. Amen. Now in the spiritual realm, if I'm starving to death, it's nobody's fault but my own. Yeah, and if I'm not preaching the Bible. Oh yeah, faith by, comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I mean, it's however, however your consumption is, you got to be consuming it. I love what Bill Johnson says, and I know a lot of people have their anti-Bill Johnson, but you know what, there's a lot of people anti-Seth Klein too, and shoot. <laughs> I ain't lost a bit of sleep, but anyway, as you said, I was, as you seen, I was late this morning. Uh, 
You know, he said, you know, you can't remember what you read in the Bible yesterday. He said, well, so what? He said, I, he said, I can't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday, but it still nourished my body. You know, I don't remember if I had two eggs or a bowl of oatmeal. I can tell you right now, I'd rather have two eggs and a bowl of oatmeal. But anyway, unless it's got brown sugar or maple syrup in it or something, it's pretty good. Uh, now, I, but anyway, what did it matter? What did it matter that I can't remember? I still ate it, and it still had effects on my body. What, can you remember what you read yesterday in the Bible? Listen, I have read for hours. And get done and be like, uh, now where was that script? Matthew 9 and 16. And get to Matthew 9. I hope it wasn't Matthew 9 and 16. Maybe it was Matthew 8 and 16. Nope, maybe it was... Well, Oh, okay. It was Matthew five and thirty three. You know what I'm saying? Like, did I couldn't necessarily remember because I'm sitting there trying to like, what exactly did that scripture say? I want to be able to quote it. I can't quote it. I know what it said because it it it, it resonated in my spirit. But did it not nourish me because I couldn't remember exactly where it was and exactly how to quote it? No, it still nourished me. Right. So no matter how we hear the Word of God, whether it's you know, meditation, reflection, whether it's sitting and listening, as long as we're, we're consuming the Word of God, our faith is being built up. I'm gonna, listen, I'm, I don't, I'm not saying this braggadociously. I hope it don't come across as braggadociously. This church right here will start to move mountains because there is an accumulative, uh, uh, accumulative uh, amount of faith that is being collected in a, in, in a currency, the faith. And we're going, to begin to, we're going to begin to move mountains in this area and the sun is going to begin to shine in the valleys where there once was no sun shining in the valleys and we're going to begin to call people out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen. Hmm? I love the mountain. I love being on top of the mountain. I like to go pray on top of the mountain, but the mountain always symbolizes an obstacle. Maybe not always, but in the worldly, it's an obstacle. Why? Because I've got to exert myself to get up there. Now, I believe that there will be a day that when all the valleys are leveled. It's not because he's going to remove the mountain. He's going to lift up. The, I think everything's going to, I mean, God, I believe God one day is going to level the playing field of prayer, Right? And I think it has a lot to do with the church. It has a lot to do with their interpretation and misinterpretation of the scriptures. Okay. One day Jesus will come back and when he sets his foot on the mountain and it splits, I believe then there's going to be some things that are just, everything's going to be leveled. Every, anything and everything that in my life right now presents an obstacle will be removed. I believe that. When Jesus is fully revealed in the earth. Now, despite that, I believe that we are a part and we are participants in, be, in the fact that Jesus is being fully revealed. How? Because it goes back to the scripture. I was called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Because he revealed himself to me, I now have light to see. He gives me the presence, his presence. And again, the, the, the word is a, light the, a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Or a light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet. You know, I always get it backwards. But irregardless, it's a light that shows me where I'm going. Well, he is the word. 
So Jesus is the light on my path. He is the lamp over my feet. He is the one that directs me and shows me where to go so that I don't trip over obstacles in life. So while I believe that there will be a time when obstacles are eliminated, I also believe that there is a moment when I am in the presence of Jesus that obstacles are illuminated and gives me the power and the ability to to step over them or go around them and to not trip up and fall in this thing we call life. Jesus is here to give me and show me direction, but He's in me that I can be, uh, I can give direction and I can give guidance for those that are lost in darkness to come into the presence of Jesus. Hmm? Come on, man. We got to understand that if I get ready, I need to go back and help my family. I can't just go sit in a truck and wait for them, right? Some of us may do that, but you can't do that. And we certainly can't do this whole Christian thing like that. We can't, we can't get ourselves ready or claim to get ourselves ready and then just go sit in a church house and wait for Jesus to come back and start the engine. So that we can just, you know, boost off and just go in to, to the heavenly realm and leave this old world for the sinners. That's, and that's not, listen, honestly, this, you, can't, you can't biblically debate this and, and, and not acknowledge the Great Commission. Go, teach them all that I have commanded you. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Go ye into all the world and make disciples, and I will be with you always, even to the ends of the earth. You can't debate that it's okay to do what 90% of the church is doing because the only way that you can win that argument is to to rip that scripture out of the Bible and throw it away. Hmm. There's a myriad of arguments around that and I think that we can debunk every one of them because the Bible is applicable to every generation. The Bible is applicable to every generation. I've heard people tell me, well, you can't, you can't use that preacher because he was talking directly to the, to the disciples. Okay, go home and rip out Romans. Because you're not a Roman. We are disciples. Right. Go, go rip out Corinthians and Ephesians and Galatians and Philippians. Go rip out Colossians. Go rip out Titus and Timothy. Go rip out Thessalonians. Go rip them all out because those, those scriptures, those Bibles, those, those epistles were not addressed to you. Hmm? Or they don't want to go, rip, go rip out James, the epistles of John, and the epistles of Peter because those were all letters addressed to somebody else and your name wasn't on the, your name wasn't on the envelope. Go rip them out. They don't apply to you. The, the Bible is applicable to everyone in every generation. So we are to be keeping up with the, com- the commandment, the great commandment, the great commission to go into all of the world, preaching all that He has commanded, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, making disciples, and He will be with us always, even to the ends of the earth or the end of the age. So what's the matter with us? I've I, I done told you. You know what's made you weak 
what's my, not you. Don't, don't, I mean, I know everybody's like, is he talking about me? No, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the overall spirit of the church. What has made us weak. When we started preaching about that glorious day when Jesus returns and it's all going to be over. Let me say something to you. Let me, let me, let me, this, and I'm included. When that day comes, what a glorious day it will be indeed. But there will be a judgment follows it. And for every soul that I had the opportunity to lead to Jesus and bring that soul into marvelous light and out of the darkness of the world, I will be judged for. I believe that the excitement of the, of the rapture will be short-lived when it comes to the judgment of the church. And I believe that the numbers of souls will be overwhelming that we had the opportunity to reach and didn't. Just a sombering, just a sombering thought that are we really doing what we, what, are we really doing all that we can in the, every capacity that we can to make sure that heaven is full. Mm. Very, very, very debatable. But let me go on. Again, many seem to amplify and expound upon a portion of this particular scripture, chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation, peculiar people, but overlook the pinnacle of what is being expressed. Hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For that is appropriate that we praise him. Or for that, it is appropriate that we praise him. Why? Because in verse 4, it gives four particulars of one people. Chosen, royal, holy, and peculiar. But in verse 10, Peter further expounds that that people were once not a people, but are now the people of God, and so hath obtained mercy. If we read on in that, and, and I have the New Living Translation uh, but he says in verse 9, this is why you show others the goodness of God, okay? The King James says, this is why we show forth the praises of God. The NLT or the New Living Translation says, this is why, this is so you can show others the goodness of God. And I like that because we know that it's the goodness of God that draws all men to repentance. So we have got to be living in this world as a shining light that begins to direct people to the goodness of God. And there's a reason. He's giving us a reason to do this. And he's given us a reason by how or by the way or a reason in which we can do this. And it all goes back to Jesus. But verse 10 says, Once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Once you received none of God's mercy, now you have received his mercy. So, Chosen, royal, holy, and peculiar is all attributes of one people. That people is the people of God. And those people were not a people, which means that they were not identified by darkness, but they were hid under the cloak of sin. But God has called them out and put his identity and his name on them. And he has done so for the reason that they would go and multiply. Okay, His first command in the garden was to multiply. 
right? He told Peter, he told Adam and Eve to multiply, okay? He was talking about having offspring. I believe that today he's telling us to multiply because we are sons and daughters begotten of the word, right? So we've got to preach the word that other sons and daughters, more sons and daughters themselves would become begotten of the word and therefore sons and daughters of God. So we were called to multiply, not to sit and hide. Huh? Okay, I'm glad I made a very good valid point. So we were not a people, but now we're a people. We were people that had not obtained mercy, but now we have obtained mercy. And for that, we go and show people the goodness of God. Do you know what the goodness of God is? It's the mercy of God. It's the love of God. It's the grace of God. It's the compassion of God. All of those things fall under goodness and fall under mercy. Amen? Okay. Because of his marvelous light he has shown us and his tender mercy he has extended to us, both are catalysts for why we praise him. I will also add that this is greatly important for the simple fact that the scripture teaches us that his presence inhabits the praises of his people. Which brings me to this. If we aren't praising him, then he is not present among us. If he isn't present among us, then we're not included within chosen, royal, holy, peculiar, nor within his marvelous light and still in darkness. Hmm? We show forth the praises unto him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The psalmist said that that the praises of his people, that his presence will inhabit the praises of his people. Why do you think it's important that we begin to open up every church service with praise? Hmm? Because if you understand the importance of praise and you understand the consequence of your praise is the fact that His presence will come and inhabit your surroundings, then you might begin to praise or you might begin to worship with a little bit different perspective. Because worship is not really or necessarily a religious act in which we perform. It's a spiritual thing that causes the spirit and the presence of God to come and inhabit and come down and infiltrate or enter, not infiltrate or pervade the environment and the moment around me. I'm trying to make my place right now or my heart or the, 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 the service more hospitable and inviting to the Holy Spirit so that He can come down and I can encounter Him. Well, you know, brother, we just sing Sunday mornings and we don't really get into it and all that. You know, I don't get into it either, but I'm really beginning to see the importance of me lifting up my voice in praise and in worship because I want to encounter the presence of Jesus in my now. My moment. So I believe it's very important to understand that here is why we show forth the praises of Him who called us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. We fail to emphasize out of darkness into His marvelous light, but we also fail to emphasize this is why we praise Him. And there's a consequence of praising Him. Praising Him is a catalyst for other people then to begin to see His goodness, be called to repentance. And then guess what happens? 
The voice of praise is the begin to it, it is it begins to multiply and it begins to magnify and the and the sound of praise begins to penetrate the realm of heaven with a higher intensity and a greater volume because the more people that are praising him, the louder the voice gets, right? <clears throat> But also, the more that are praising Him, the greater His inhabitants is. Come on, somebody. I'm, I am absolutely, positively convinced that there is a possibility that the entire earth will be covered in the goodness and the presence of Jesus. Prove it. The whole world will begin to sing unto Him. Hmm? Could you imagine what would happen in your town if we gathered on the streets to genuinely and sincerely lift up praises and not for our church to get the acknowledgement? If you can't do anything for Jesus without wearing a shirt that identifies you to the church that you attend, then you're not doing it for Jesus, you're doing it for the church in which you attend. But for God be the glory. Shut your mouth. It ain't got nothing to do with God. There's a problem in the church and it's between two F words. Fashion and function. And too many people want to be fashionable but ain't none of them want to be functionable. And because we're not functionable, we had to resort to fashionable. I won't go any further than that. Just let it sink in. Meditate on that. I want to be functionable. I don't want to be fashionable. I want to be functionable because I want to be able to walk in. Listen, I love to use this analogy. I want to walk down the pickle aisle and somebody in um, picking out marshmallows for, I don't care what they're doing. I, I don't care if it's three or four aisles down. I want to be so immersed in the presence of Yeshua. I'm just... The epischiazo. I want to be able to walk by somebody in passing and all of a sudden that person began to shout to the Lord because they were dealing with something, whether it was suicide, whether it was depression, whether it was cancer. I don't know what, what I don't care or even have to know what it was, but I want to be so immersed in the epischiazo, so enveloped in the haze of brilliancy, his presence, that when I go shopping and doing my ordinary daily tasks, that people are getting delivered from the things in which the enemy intended to hold them captive with. And all I begin to hear is I, as I go, go grocery shopping is people beginning to praise Jesus down other aisles. Come on, somebody. And the presence of Yeshua will begin to inhabit the praises of his people. And let me tell you something. I, I, don't, I don't believe there's anything that will restrain you or hold you back from praising Jesus if you knew you had cancer and all of a sudden you felt it leave your body. Come on, man. I've heard, of, I've heard of stories about men coming to an altar with knots protruding off of their neck and coming up to an altar. Listen, and not necessarily the man of power for the hour laying hands on them like we do religiously in the church today. we got to get prayed for by the man. No, people coming up to the altars, but because everybody was praying, everybody was seeking God, everybody was worshiping God, people were coming into those environments 
garments and literally cancers protruding off of their necks was falling off into the floor. Eyewitness stories said cancer fell off the man's neck, hit the floor and dissipated into thin air. A woman came up to an altar in a church that I have frequented in the past, came up to the altar, been addicted to meth. Looked like skin and bone. And, and, her, and her eyes was dark and sunken in and her cheeks were sunken in. Her hair was all disheveled. Came up to the altar and the glory and the power of God knocked her back. On, knocked her literally back forcefully. Knocked her back down the aisle and she laid flat on her back and they, they watched over her and they said literally saw 20 pounds. Come back on this young woman. 20 pounds came back on her skinny little frame. 20 pounds and 10 years was added to her. Said when she raised up, she looked like an entirely different woman. Said nobody recognized that the woman that got up was the same woman that went down. Come on. Listen, am I making these stories up? I am absolutely not making these stories up. So I believe it is possible. I believe that it is probable. I believe that it is literal. Hmm? Addicted to methamphetamines. Do you know how many people get off of methamphetamines? It's 1% of all people addicted to methamphetamines. So how glorious is it that the statistics says that 1% of all meth addicts can be delivered and a woman got delivered and set free and had life and health restored to her body in the front of eyewitness accounts. And they said, we didn't even know that the woman that got up was the same woman that went down because she looked so entirely different. Things will begin to look different when the glory of God falls upon them. You won't even begin to recognize, you won't even be able to recognize your community when the glory of God begins to fall. You won't begin to recognize your home, your family, and your marriage when the glory of God begins to fall. I hope some of you are ready for the glory of God to fall in your life. Come on. Because when his light begins to array with his gloriousness in my situation, I will by no, I will not in any way be able to refrain myself, but I will only be able to glorify him and praise him because I know, I know that this is the glory of God and his fail. Listen, you've got to understand, when you begin to walk in Walmart and people are beginning to be delivered because there's such an episkiazo that is enveloping you, Come on, man. Listen, and I love this because no man can be able to, no man will ever be able to take credit or they'll never be able to accept the accolades because listen, if you were that sold out to Jesus, it goes back to what James said in 4 verse 7. He said, submit yourself wholly unto God and, 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 and resist the devil and he must flee you. I'm telling you right now that when you are sold out, solely to God and wholly to God. There's a consequence that becomes a catalyst that every devil you come in contact with will flee. It may not be your devil, but it may be somebody else's devil, but all the same, it's your devil to deal with. 
Well, you know, we're just we need to rid our community of both darkness and devils. And how do we do that? We become so infatuated and so obsessed and so sold out with Jesus because the presence of Jesus is the reason both of those have to flee, darkness and demons. It ain't got nothing to do with your church and that denomination. It ain't got nothing to do with how cool and how dope your name is over the door. It's got nothing to do with any of that. It has everything to do with how sold out are you to Jesus. How, how aware and how cognizant are you that you were once held captive by darkness, but he set you free and called you into the liberty of his marvelous life. Come on. You want me to tell you something? Right, listen, do you, do you, you ever read stories about people that were that were convicted falsely or wrongly or even people that were maybe convicted uh, rightfully that served tens and tens and tens of 30s, 40 years in prison, constraint and on lockdown. Do you know what they do the first moment they begin to receive freedom? They cannot help but to rejoice. Let me tell you that if there was a people that were on lockdown because they, they, right, they were told that they couldn't worship God God, I'm, I hope that this is a prophetic message because for the entire year of 2020, we've been told we couldn't gather in the house of God and worship His holy name. I'm going to tell you something right now that God, when He releases those restraints and He releases those bondages off the church, if they do not lift up a praise of worship, then I hope He puts the bondages back on them because they don't realize the gift of liberty and grace that has been bestowed upon them in the name of Jesus. That's the problem with the church is they don't understand the gift of grace that has been extended to them. They don't appreciate the gift of grace that has been extended to them. They're ungrateful for all that God has done for them and they expect more because we have raised up a generation of entitled spoiled little brats who believe that God gave them something but they needed more. They deserved more. Listen, I don't deserve nothing from God because He paid it all on Calvary's cross. It is selfish of me to wake up every morning and demand God to give me my heart's desire if my heart is not set towards Him. But 90% of the church will show up on Sunday morning hoping that the pastor preaches a message that will make them feel good in their sin. Tell me how good I am, preacher. No, 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 no. I'm going to preach and tell you how good God is because ain't none of us any good at all. There's none good. No, not one. Hmm? I will lie to you and tell you how good you are. Or if I tell you how good you are. There is none good but God. And we have got to wake up and realize it. Has 2020 been bad to you? Yes, it has. Could have been worse, a lot worse. And I'm going to tell you right now that every situation that you've been through this year, had you not had Jesus, would have completely been an entire different ballgame. Hmm? Amen. Let me get through some of these notes and I'll let y'all go. I mean, I know y'all been here like 30 minutes longer than I have, but anyway. <clears throat> At 20, but anyway, who's counting, right? Who's counting? Who's counting? But I walked through the door and everybody went. <laughs> looked at their watch, right? I know, I know, I'm sorry. 
Okay, Matthew chapter 4, verse 16 and 14. Matthew chapter 5, excuse me, verse 14 through 16. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And then he says, and glorify his father or glorify your father. Let me turn there real quick. I just read that from my, my notes, but let's go to Matthew chapter 5. And it's, I mean, and here, here's the thing. Most of you know this is not a scripture that we're just now covering. We preach from this scripture and a set of other scriptures for probably six or seven months. And the emphasis was, you are the light of the world. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16. You are the light of the world like a city on a mountain glowing in the night for all to see. Don't hide your light under a basket. Instead, put it on a stand and let it shine for all. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Listen, do you understand that the, the connection that I'm making here is he called me out of darkness. He placed me in the liberty of his marvelous light. Therefore, you cannot be within the radiance of the light and not understand that the illumination of that radiance of that light is beginning to reflect off of you. So anytime we, we come into the proximal presence of Jesus, his glory, his radiance, his holiness, his magnificence, all that is him and of him begins to it begins to permeate my area and my environment, but it also begins to reflect from my person. So my person becomes a reflection of his person. You see where I'm going here, right? You can't be the light of the world without being within the one who is the light of the world. And if you go back over to the Gospel of John, Jesus says of himself, I am the light of the world and if any man will believe in me and encounter me and experience me that man shall not walk in darkness anymore there should be a testimony on your life that you are no longer walking in darkness because you're walking in the presence of Christ who is the light of the world and the reflection that is on your life makes you a reflection in the world that is light Come on. And you're supposed to be doing good works and good deeds. Why? Not so that you get the acknowledgments and the accolades, but so that God receives the glory. Understand what this statement means. When they begin to praise Jesus for something you did, you're winning. And the only way that you can achieve that is to come to grips with you have to surrender. How can you win and be surrendered at the same time? It's Listen. <coughs> Jesus is a paradox that, the, that the, 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 the human intellect cannot understand. If I surrender myself to Jesus, I become a winner. I become successful. I'm not a failure because I couldn't do it on my own. I am successful now because I realized that I was nothing apart from Jesus. But now he that is the fullness of the Godhead bodily is fully within me again bodily. Hmm? Who is the fullness of the Godhead bodily? Jesus. But who's the body of Jesus? The church. And he is the one that feels all that is being filled by it. 
or is being filled by is fills all who is being filled by it. He fills the church with his presence, but the presence of the church fills up the earth with his presence. Come on, man. I'm tired of hearing about the darkness. I'm tired of hearing about how good you've done. I'm tired about people coming in and wanting to be pampered and they want to be coddled and they want to be catered to. Listen, do you know what happens to people that are pampered, catered to, and coddled? They get their butts whipped when they go into the real world. And that's why we're dealing with a bunch of pansies both inside the church and outside the church because they don't know how to handle life. Raise them up in a bubble if you want to. Guess what? Someday somebody with a sharp little needle or a knife is going to burst their bubble and their world is going to come falling apart. You know, I don't, listen, I don't care how good you are. You can always be better, right? That's what, I mean, that's what, that's what we always taught, was taught growing up. Now don't, 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 don't get proud of yourself. Be humble. And, but what we're doing is we're raising up a generation both inside the church and outside the church that you're entitled. We're entitled to nothing. Entitlement went out the window, honey. Let me tell you what you were entitled to. You were entitled to every, you were entitled to every lash. You were entitled to every open wound. You were entitled to the beating he took. You were entitled to be strapped to the whipping post. You were entitled for your intestines to come out of the soft tissue of your stomach and drag the ground. You think I'm making this up? Do some real research on the cross, crucifixion of Jesus. The stomach lining, his stomach was ripped open and his intestines sprung out and were laying on the ground. He was beaten to a pulp from top to bottom. That's what you were entitled to and you were entitled to nothing else. Listen, I carried a cross and the man that built it said that according to the research that he done, it was most accurate to the dimensions and the weight of the one that Jesus carried. I was a full grown man. I was in the gym every day. I was close to bench pressing 400 pounds. And I'm telling you right now, I carried that cross for about two miles and I felt its effects on my body for three weeks. I had the imprint of that cross across my shoulders of where the bark had dug into my flesh so deep. So let me tell you, as bad as that hurt, it hurt nowhere near as bad as it did Jesus because he was carrying it on top of open wounds. I didn't mean to come in here this morning to preach you an Easter message on Christmas, but I'm telling you right now, it may be time that we wake up and realize how great the gift of God was to us when He gave us His Son. Unto us a son is born. Unto, or unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And let me go ahead and prophesy this. And the government shall rest upon His shoulders. So the only thing you were entitled to was the same beating and the crucifixion that he took because he bore our sins in his own body and nailed them to the tree. <coughs> and it is absolutely disgusting how much the church has came up in entitlement. 
Let me tell you, when you start preaching that the only entitlement that the church had was the entitlement to the same whipping post and the same cat of nine tails and the same 39 lashings and the same carrying of the cross and the same crucifixion that he did, then they'll shut up about entitlement. We're entitled to nothing, but we get a grace when we have everything. Right. Entitled to nothing. Except that. Except what he endured for you. You're entitled to nothing. If people wake up and say, well, I'm just having a bad day. Let me tell you what, your day ain't nowhere in comparison to the bad day he had 2,000 years ago. Well, guess what? Had he not had that bad day 2,000 years ago, you wouldn't even be here today to have a bad day because your day would be absolutely worse. Well, you know, I just don't feel like it. I'm gonna say. He didn't either. Prove it, Lord. Let this cut pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. He didn't want to take that. He knew what he was about to endure. You know what? He was ready to be called up. You know what kept him here? Love for his neighbor. Because he wanted to make sure that the entire world was ready to be called up the same as him. Come on, man. He is the light of the world. John 8, chapter, John 8, verse 12. We are the light of the world. He begins to say that to us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16. What is he really saying? I'm going to put my light in you and you are going to be called out of darkness and therefore you're going to begin to lead and guide people who were captivated by the same darkness you were in and bring them to my marvelous, glorious light too. Come on, we, let me just tell you this. We need to wake up and see the light. And I'm not preaching. Listen, I'm telling you, nine out of ten preachers will tell the church they need to wake up and see the light and what they really want them to do is wake up and stare into the darkness. <clears throat> y'all better turn on the news and y'all better start, y'all better, get, y'all better understand what's going on and y'all better understand what we're up against. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I understand that. I, I'm, I'm not, I've never said that we should be oblivious to the enemy. But we should never be so infatuated with the enemy that we can't even be conscious to the presence of God. Amen. And that's, that's the problem within the church today. Is we're so infatuated and obsessed with everything that the enemy is doing. And all that is darkness within the world. And we have become so blinded that we may be incapable right now of ever seeing the light. Hmm. I'll reference the, the, the fish that was born in caves and lived their entire lives in utter darkness and lost their ability to see. You stare at the darkness long enough, you'll lose your ability to see the light. It's just that simple. <clears throat> you want me to tell you who's been preaching behind the pulpits in the church for the last 200 years? It's been the devil. Because the devil's got in behind the pulpits on church on Sunday morning and began to brag about all that he's doing. What's it say? The devil's got behind the pulpit of every pulpit, I mean, over the last several hundred years, and he began to brag openly to the church about what he's doing. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders in so much that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very effect. We are being deceived. Yeah, deception. 
the greatest deception on the church has been able it has been has been the enemy being able to get your focus on the darkness and depravity and not the focus on Jesus and his grace. Do you, it's been proven scientifically that things and I've said this things that we view the content that we consume is both spiritual and subliminal what we're what we're viewing on what we're it's it's the mass and multiples of what we're viewing or the masses and the multiples of what we're viewing is beginning to infiltrate our hearts and then the love of many will wax cold, right? Is that what the scripture says? We're beginning to lose our love one for another, especially our neighbor. Because we're growing bitter. We're beginning to grow calloused because we're focusing too much on what the world is doing around us. And we lost focus on the one who loved us so much that he gave himself for us. God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. But you've got to understand that Jesus willingly volunteered for it too. He willingly volunteered. So the scripture could be also, or we should take out, we should take a lesson from that and understand that Jesus so loved the world that he began to give himself. He was willing to die so that you and I could obtain eternal life. Come on. He loved his neighbor as himself. He loved God more than anything and was so willing to obey the will of God for the, for, for the eternity of humanity. He, listen, man, from the time he was born, could you imagine for 33 and a half years knowing uh, the, uh, the, the torment that you were going to have to endure? And not, on, not only that, but guess what? He had, to, he had to think about the torment he was going to endure, but he also had to think about the rejection that he would have to endure the people that would not receive him through all of his torment. How many people have rejected him, mocked him, I'm going to tell you how they can mock him because the church has made a mockery out of him. Because we don't believe nearly, we don't believe nearly 25, 30% of what we say we believe. You believe God can? Yes, sir, I believe God can. Well, you don't act like, I mean, really, I mean, let's think about it. I've been there. I, I've been there so bad that I believe God could. He just wouldn't for me. Because it's frustration, it's agitation, it's discouragement, it's obligation. All of those are, are horrendous ingredients for prayer. But I've got to come to the realization that as dark as it is around me, He's the light within me. And if He's the light within me, then He has got to be the, the answer to the light or the answer to the darkness and the light in the darkness to the world within, with, around me. Bill Johnson again says that the answer to the world around you is the one within you. 
And I say the answer to the darkness around you is the one, is the light within you. Come on. So now, again, back to Ephesians 3 and 20, and I'm going to close with this. Now unto him who was, who was able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask and think according to the power that is in us. Do you know what the power is in you? It's the Holy Spirit. But it's also light. Jesus was life, and in that life was light unto men, but the light shone in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. We've got to understand that Jesus is life, and he is light. And where he is present, where he is present, death and darkness cannot rule. According to the power in you. Brother, I can't preach. I don't care. Brother, I don't know if I can pray like you. I don't care. I'm glad you can't pray like me. I can't pray very good at all. I can preach all day long, so that's what I start doing when they ask me to pray. They start looking at me and sitting down when I start praying. We went to homes over the last couple of days, and the first one I went to, we prayed for 30 minutes. I told them, I said, I'm going to have to shorten my prayers down, or we're never going to get finished. <laughs> we're, not, we're not done yet. <laughs> We're still not done, you know. We've got several more houses to visit. But anyway, come on. No, 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 no. It doesn't matter. You've got to understand that the same capacity of light is in you that is in me. I don't care how you, how you, how you put Billy Graham on a pedestal. He was awesome. He was great. I will agree. But you have the same light on the inside of you that Billy Graham did. Hmm? Who's your favorite preacher? Think about it for a minute. I know none of y'all thought about me, right? But who's your favorite preacher? All jokes aside, there's as much light in you as they are, as they are in him or her. You are full of light. Let's be Christmas lights this season. As, as generic as that sounds, it was almost painful for me to say that. But we are. We're a light unto Christ. So let us leave here this evening, going home, or this afternoon, going home, believing that we can light up the world and we will be Christmas lights in this season. Let your light shine. Let it shine so that they can see your good works and glorify God. I hope that the praises unto Yeshua begin to magnify, amplify, and echo through this region the catalyst of his presence coming and inhabiting our region. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Our vision for the Rooted Legacy podcast is that we give as much free content to God's creation as possible. However, if you've been affected by God's word and would like to give, you can do so at Tithely Online or on the Tithely app. Just search Laurel Branch Church of God. Our address is Clear Fork, West Virginia, 24822. That is tithely.ly, T-I-T-H-E dot L-Y. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you and all that you do today.